Purdue fans, this is Johnny DeCamp bringing you play-by-play -play the Rousey. Everybody, Rousey. along with Ron Kramer, this is Pete Van Weeren welcoming you to ross Aid Stadium. Live from ross Aid Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana. It's a football Saturday in West Lafayette, Indiana, and one of the biggest home games in decades. Boilermakers rush the field. What a night in West Lafayette. Your Central Indiana Ford dealers are a proud sponsor of Purdue Football in the Raw Sage Greatest Games podcast. Visit your local Central Indiana Ford dealer today. Welcome to the Raw Sage Greatest Game podcast. I'm Corey Palm alongside Tim Newton, and we are celebrating the 100th year of Raw Sage, the home of the Boilermakers, by counting down some of the greatest games ever uh, played inside that stadium. Uh, a few notes. Before we get started, uh, this list is not comprehensive. There are far more great games in Ross Aids history than we have time to recount in this podcast. So we're, we're going to do our best. Uh, hopefully you, you have some fun along the way. Uh, secondly, this is, uh, well, we're going to present them chronologically. We're not going to rank order them. I don't want that task. Tim doesn't either. No. Everyone's rankings would be a little bit different. So uh, we're just going to stay out of that mess. Um that said, those notes out of the way, we're going to start. This is our, our first episode. Chronologically, we're going all the way back to 1952 for a classic Old Oaken Bucket battle. Uh, Tim, the 52 season was an interesting one for the Boilermakers. Uh, a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. And you know it was a long one ago because I wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> and most of these other games that I, I was able to either see in person or, or at least was alive for, but this was a little bit before my time. Yeah, the 1952 season was a so-so season for Purdue overall. Uh, they wound up well, uh, coming into the bucket game with a 500 record, three wins, three losses, and two ties. But they were still playing for a chance to at least share, if not win outright, the Big Ten championship. Now, keep in mind, too, in 1952, the Big Ten had nine teams. Michigan State had not joined. They would not join until 1953. The University of Chicago, which was an original member, dropped out in the 1940s. So you played six conference games out of your nine overall games. And so Purdue came into the bucket game with a chance to at least get a share, if not the outright Big Ten championship. Interestingly enough, uh, uh, among those non-conference games was top-ranked Michigan State, who, uh, who the, the Boilermakers lost to in a 14-7 battle yeah. with, uh, with one of the best teams in the country. And also they opened this season against far into the future uh, a conference opponent, Penn State, a tie out in Happy Valley. So uh, two ties on the ledgers is very unique. It is. It is. And the other non-conference game was against Notre Dame, which is uh, something that our, our guest today, Dale Samuels, had a long legacy against the Irish, including a huge upset two years earlier in 1950. And we will talk to him about that and a wide range of things, including this 52 season. Um the month of November was pretty terrible yeah. for, for the Boilermakers. Yeah. They lost that aforementioned game to Michigan State. They tied Minnesota, which knocked, well, didn't knock the Boilermakers out of the top 10, but but certainly sent them reeling. And then uh, and then lost at Michigan, uh, as it would turn out, their only conference loss of the season at Michigan. But really, you, when you go three weeks without a win, in the month of November, you don't think you're going to be playing for a title. They still work. Now, we should also point out, if you look at those three games, Michigan State was ranked uh, number one at the time. Uh, Minnesota, uh, Michigan was ranked 20th. So they were. you had two top 20 teams in that uh, three-game span. So it was, a little, it was a tough stretch coming down uh, the, to the wire. But you came in against an Indiana team that had struggled. 
and only won a couple of games all season long. That's right. The the Hoosiers uh, two and six on the year, and actually had had a worse month of November. They hadn't won uh, in five weeks. Yeah, uh, had the Hoosiers, so they were coming in with really just pride in the bucket to play for. Uh, Which is plenty. It sure is. Whether it was 1952 or 2023, the bucket means a lot. Let's get to the game. The Boilermakers jump out to a 14-0 lead uh, thanks to a rushing touchdown from Max Schmaling and a passing touchdown from Samuels to Rex Brock. Um, IU tied it right before the half, uh, 14-0, became 14-14. And uh, let me tell you, Tim, the weather that day was miserable. Uh, Temperatures in the low 40s, high 30s, rain, rain. Muddy, terrible, terrible game for 40,000 people in the stands, but uh, uh, it, it certainly made the white uniforms of the Hoosiers in the first half a little bit harder to read as the as the clock went. Yeah, the, the turf management and turf uh, quality was not quite what it is here in the 21st century. So yeah, the field had become, was starting to become a quagmire uh, as the second half began. It was. Indiana had an answer for that, something I'd never seen before. When I was reviewing the film, we actually do have some film of this game. Uh, they came out, the Hoosiers did in the second half, in their uh, home crimson jerseys. They swapped out their white jerseys at halftime for clean, dry, new uniforms for the second half and uh, decided to attack attack the game that way. That should should be some sort of a penalty, you'd right? Think, you'd think that that wouldn't be allowed. Yeah, that, yeah. Sure. Well, uh, it worked out for them a little bit. They caught the biggest break in the third quarter when uh, Samuels fumbled the snap and Schmaling dove on the, the loose ball, but and they were in the end zone. It yeah. was a safety. Gave up a safety, not a touchdown, though, and that became a little bit uh, more important later in the game. It absolutely did. The Hoosiers pinned him deep with a great punt uh, before that before that uh, that play, and, and the Boilermakers – didn't do anything else the the third quarter. 16-14 IU is how this game headed into the fourth. And uh, meanwhile, there was some scoreboard glancing yeah. going on in Ross-Aid because, as we said, the Boilermakers were playing for a Big Ten title, but they came in a half a game behind Michigan and Wisconsin. Yeah, Michigan had to lose to Ohio State, which wound up happening. Wisconsin had to either lose or tie against Minnesota on the last day of the season in order for Purdue to have a chance to share the championship or at least, or maybe even win it outright. Early in the fourth quarter, the public address announcer let the stadium know the final from Ohio State. Uh, the Buckeyes victorious 27-7 to over the Wolverines, and the crowd, the crowd went nuts. The team fed off of that energy yeah. and uh, went on a 66-yard scoring drive. Most of that was on the ground, as, as was the case a lot of times, certainly in bad weather, but right. but we're talking about the early 50s here. The aerial game had not quite developed to what we would... Not quite the air rate right. at that point. We've grown accustomed to seeing a, a lot more offense. Although we will point out, Dale Samuels was the first Purdue quarterback to throw for 1,000 yards in a season. So as you look at the cradle of quarterbacks, where did it start? It started with Dale Samuels. Absolutely, and uh, he did just enough that day. Yep. Uh, hands off, it is Rex Brock. A third and three from the 20, less than five minutes left. And again, you know, a field goal from that, especially from that distance in that kind of weather is pretty iffy. So you're probably going to have to score a touchdown. And and there was a big block on the play. Uh, Ken Panfield, who was playing right tackle, had the big block downfield, the spring Brock into the end zone, and the Boilermakers took the 21-16 lead, and they were able to hang on. They were, and and it took a goal line stand to hang on. Yeah. IU 
uh, throw uh, throws an absolute desperation pass in the closing seconds that is brought down at the two yard line. Um, they they run a bit of misdirection. They're leading. Their leading rusher on the day was the fullback. They decided to not hand him the ball. Thank you. Um, and went with a sweep wide that, that went for a, a loss. Crowd stormed the field as the clock ran out. And uh, at the very least, the Boilermakers knew they had clinched the bucket mm-hmm. and had kept themselves alive yep. for the Big Ten title. They would find out later that Wisconsin had indeed tied Minnesota 21 apiece. Uh, and, and therefore... The Boilermakers, for the first time since 1943, were Big Ten champions. They were Big Big, big Ten co-champions because they tied Wisconsin. And again, Purdue and Wisconsin did not play each other in the regular season. So there was a famous tie back after the 1972 season between Michigan and Ohio State when the Big Ten athletic directors voted. And much of the chagrin of the Wolverines, they voted Ohio State into the Rose Bowl. Similar situation here. Purdue and Wisconsin tied for the championship. And the Big Ten athletic directors actually decided who would go to the Rose Bowl. They did. They they decided on uh, Sunday. Uh, ballots had to be in by midnight Sunday. It was announced Monday afternoon. And uh, by an unreported tally, it had to be a majority. So we know right. it was at least 6-4 in favor of the Badgers. Uh, Wisconsin got the nod. It was their first Big Ten title. Uh, it was their first trip to the Rose Bowl, of course. The Big Ten only had a, a, a contract to send the champion to the right. Rose Bowl starting in the mid-40s. So the Rose Bowl tradition wasn't quite what we've all what we've all grown accustomed to, but it was still a big deal, and the Boilermakers would have to wait over a decade to, to get their first trip to Pasadena. Wisconsin did go to the Rose Bowl, lost that game to Southern California 7-0 in what was the second lowest scoring Rose Bowl in history. That's... Uh, that's not a good football game. No, it's not. <laughs> you would you would hope that Dale and the boys would have gotten into the end zone a couple of times. You would think. You would think. It was uh, it was the final game of of Dale Samuel's college career. Yep. Uh, he went on to play a season in the NFL, um, but but it was his final game as a Boilermaker senior day, and and he went out on top, as you said, Tim, the first quarterback in Purdue history to throw for a thousand yards in a season. He did it twice. Uh, the first to throw for three thousand yards. He. He ended his career as the career leader in passing yards mm-hmm. and touchdowns. Um, his favorite target? Bernie Flowers. The legend, Bernie Flowers. First Boilermaker receiver to break 1,000 yards receiving. He ended his career as the leader in yards and touchdowns for a receiver. And um, anybody who, who saw them play or got to know them after their playing days will tell you they're absolute legends. Uh, and Bernie Flowers, maybe the most gregarious man you've ever met in your life, passed away a few years ago, but... Uh, was an All-American that year in 1952 and went on to have a long career in the business world. And uh, we, we miss Bernie. We, Adele Flowers is still around, and we, we see Adele every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, Bernie and, and uh, Dale Samuels had a great connection back in the early 50s. They did. They, they sort of helped start the revolution uh, for, for what has become Purdue football, the cradle of quarterbacks, and, and uh, everything that we all love so much. Dude. We will talk to... Purdue Hall of Famer Dale Samuels about Bernie. We'll talk to him about that that championship season in 1952 and about that uh, that huge win in his second career start at Notre Dame, breaking the Irish's 39-game winning streak. Yeah, where do you go after you do that, your second game of your career? You, you knock off the number one team on their field. Where do you go from there? It's, that's, a, that's a great question. We'll, yeah. we'll find out from the man himself after the break. We'll be right back with Hall of Famer Dale Samuels on the Ross Aid's Greatest Games podcast. Your Central Indiana Ford dealers are a proud sponsor of Purdue Football in the Raw Sage Greatest Games podcast. 
Visit your local Central Indiana Ford dealer today. We're joined now by Dale Samuels, who led the Boilermakers to that 1952 Big Ten Championship. Dale, we really appreciate you uh, taking some time to to sit and talk with us about your days at Purdue. I'm happy to do that, and thanks for uh, inviting me. Dale, what do you remember about that? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about your career in general, but that specific day, no, November of 1952, when the Boilermakers were trying to win at least a share, if not the outright Big Ten championship, what do you remember about that bucket game against IU? Well, it was it was kind of an up-and-down season for us, really. Uh, uh, we played a tough schedule to, be, to begin with. That's, uh, that's one of the things. But going into the last week, uh, just realizing that the Indiana game for all of us seniors would be the last time we'd be playing in Ross Edge Stadium. And that's that's pretty sentimental to begin with. And uh, knowing that we had to win to at least tie for the Big Ten Championship, put a little more pressure on the game. And we woke up in the morning and it was pouring rain and didn't stop until late the late in the afternoon never stopped during the game yeah the field was a muddy mess uh by halftime i know uh, we we mentioned or we can see in the video that we look back on uh, iu actually changed jerseys at the halftime uh that, that was something as a as a football fan i don't think i remember ever seeing before uh, was that was that a bit strange for you guys coming out playing a different color for the second half I didn't even know they changed jerseys. I just know it was in the end. <laughs> Not worried about that, right? <laughs> that sounds like a focused guy at quarterback. Well, you got off to a good start in that game. Uh, you were up 14 to nothing, but all of a sudden uh, they tie the game, and then uh, you fumble. Uh, the team fumbled in the end zone, so you're down 16-14. What's, uh, if you remember, what was your thought at that point of, hey, this, this not only is the bucket slipping away, but maybe our Big Ten championship is going as well? Yeah, you said it all in the, in the last minute. I didn't think you'd bring that up. I thought I was the only one that remembered it. Uh, it's the only quarterback center exchange fumble that I was involved in in the three years that I played there. And all I thought about on the sideline during the fourth quarter is this can't end this way with me fumbling a snap from center and losing to Indiana. Well, uh, the the team responded. Uh, you drove 66 yards uh, on the game-winning drive, uh, including uh, Rex Brock uh, finishing it off with with a touchdown. And I, I can't imagine just the uh, the pure joy when you guys went back on top. Absolutely, uh, Rex was a, a young. I think he might have only been a freshman, maybe a sophomore at the best. But uh, it was just a a plain simple handoff and uh I believe it was about twenty four, twenty five yard run for a touchdown and uh everybody just kept missing him and he was plodding along in the mud and thank God he got into the end zone and, and allowed us to to win the game twenty one to sixteen and I'm glad it ended the way it did. That's pretty good memory there, sir, for for a game that was played a little bit of time ago. So I, I'm sure days like that and games like that stick in your mind forever. So after the game, you find out that Minnesota and Wisconsin played to a tie. So basically, you and Wisconsin are tied for the Big Ten Championship. And the next day, the athletic directors are going to take a vote and decide who goes to the Rose Bowl. 
what was the thought? Did, did, did you all think you had a good shot at getting that? Or was the thought that Wisconsin was probably going to get the vote? No, we didn't think Wisconsin was a lock to get the vote. Uh, again, I, I go back to strength of schedule, which they didn't talk about back in those days. And, uh, our schedule was much more difficult than Wisconsin's in our opinion. And, uh, Actually, we were very disappointed when the when the vote was came in from the directors of athletics, and uh, Bernie Flowers, who was the co-captain along with me, and I and a couple of other players went into the football office, which was in Lambert Field at the time, at Lambert Field House, and uh, we petitioned <laughs> to try to get them to go to the Big Ten and say. Let's play a playoff game in Chicago. There was enough time between the end of the season and the Rose Bowl uh, to have a playoff, and let that be the determining factor who should who should represent the Big Ten. Of course, that didn't fly, and uh, Wisconsin won. They lost, didn't score a point, and uh, I, I was disappointed to this day. And I would say, uh, Dale, that was back in the days. The Big Ten that season had nine teams because Michigan State, even though you played them that year, was not a conference member until the following season. So you played everybody in the Big Ten except two teams, Northwestern and, unfortunately, Wisconsin. So you never did get the chance to play the Badgers on the field and settle it there. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned Michigan State. I believe they were number one in the nation uh, that year, at least by some polls. And we played them. We played Notre Dame, who was probably uh, ranked, if they weren't number one with Michigan State, they were number two or three. And, uh, you know, that's a tough schedule. For sure. I, I love that you guys tried to get uh, a Big Ten championship game. That uh, That's that's wonderful. Uh, it's unfortunate uh, that it never got off the ground. I think that's that would have been fantastic. Uh it, another thing is it, it was the Rose Bowl or nothing that season. Uh, it, going to another bowl game or or uh, seeing the season continue at all was was not really an option. Uh, so it was really it, it had to be a just a real letdown. Uh, I can't imagine, like you said, you you still haven't gotten over it uh, to this day. I I, I can only imagine. Uh, it was disappointing, and uh, like you said. Uh, there was only four bowl games, and uh, and we were uh, in the running to uh, to play in one, and we lost the uh, the vote, and that's the way it was. You mentioned earlier, Dale, that in that season you played Notre Dame as as Purdue did for many years consecutively uh, in the non conference play. I would imagine for a kid from Chicago that that game had extra meaning, and that's really what's jump-started your career back in 1950 when you led the Boilermakers to a huge upset over the Irish in your second game. What do you remember about that day and the aftermath of that win? Well, I, I was so fortunate to be able to play in that game and and everything. Uh, you know, walking into Notre Dame Stadium as a sophomore, it just you just start to think of all the tradition that Notre Dame had been and still has today. Uh, it was a it was a big thrill from being from Chicago because back in those days, uh, if you were a betting person, I wasn't, but you didn't bet against Notre Dame, the Yankees, or Joe Lewis. 
So anyhow, beating him at uh, in South Bend was was special, and uh, I got to know some of those guys after uh, after the season was over, and and uh, they're a great great group of uh, players, and they became friends, and uh, that's what sports is all about. Absolutely, uh, very well said. Uh, that is what sports are all about, and there's so many great lessons uh, uh, to be learned from playing the game. I know uh, fans of modern football are used to Purdue being a, an offense that throws the ball around a lot. You're kind of the guy that got that started. You're the first quarterback in Purdue history to throw for over 1,000 yards. You ended your career as the all-time leader in passing and passing touchdowns. And just uh, what was it about those days and, and working with you know, uh, th- that coaching staff that really kind of unlocked the offense for you? Yeah, well, uh, Stu Holcomb, our head coach, was pretty progressive, and uh, he liked to score as quick as he could. And and Jack Molenkoff was, uh, I guess you call him the defensive coordinator. They they didn't have titles back then, but uh, Jack worked with the defense. You know, you, when you get coached by Bob DeMoss and Hank Stram, that's not too bad, is it? <laughs> You know, you, you look at that season, Dale, the, the 1950 season, 51-52, when you played, um, the the game was a lot different than, as, as Corey just mentioned, it was not a passing game. Uh, what did Stu Holcomb mean for the conference in terms of, did, did he, do you think he opened it up? Did he change the style of play? Or was Purdue a little bit of an outlier back in those days? Well, I, yeah, I think they were the outlier because uh, most teams uh, – they they based their offense on rushing the football, and not that we didn't, but uh, I know that that Stu liked to open up the game. Uh, he was very aggressive. If a team scored uh, on us early, uh, I can remember a number of times along the sidelines, we got to get that back. We got to get that back, you know. And he he was a little bit impatient, uh, and. Uh, that's what I learned from him is to be patient and uh, take your time and everything will work out. But sometimes we are impatient, show an interception, they score again, you get behind by two, and uh, that's not good. Uh, after, your, uh, after your Purdue career, a, a brief NFL stop with the hometown Chicago Cardinals, uh, then you went into coaching. Was that something you had originally intended on doing when you came to Purdue? Actually, it was. Uh, I, I I really thought that that's what I wanted to do, and, and I expected to do it on the high school level as a teacher and a, and a high school coach. And it seemed like after 1952, when I, I graduated in the spring of 53, and uh, there weren't a lot of jobs available. And I was sitting at home after my brief stint with the Cardinals, which is another long story we won't get into today. But anyhow, uh, it, it was a it was an experience that uh, I guess I'm glad I went through. As you grow up in a hurry, and I had a young wife and uh, a new baby, and I had to get a job. And, and Stu Holcomb called me one day, and he said, "Are you still interested in coaching? You're not having any luck." Uh, getting into high school level, I said, no, sir, I, I haven't had that opportunity yet. And yes, I'm, I'm very interest, interested, interested in coaching. 
And he said, well, my good friend at the University of Missouri, Don Farrell, is the athletic director and the head football coach. And he's looking for a young coach, just starting out. He's going to give you a call, and uh, I, I hope he interviews you, and you, you carry it on from there. Well, Mr. Farrell did call me, and he invited my wife and I down to Columbia, and we went and spent the weekend with him, and I'll be darned if he didn't call me the following Monday, and he said, I'd like to hire you to get down here as soon as you can. And uh, that was 1954, and, and he gave me my first break. And uh, then from there on, I went up to Northwestern with Eric Parsegan. When when he got that job the first time, and then I went from Northwestern to Purdue, the Northwestern, back to Purdue, and remained at Purdue University from 1967 right till I retired in 1996. What a legacy that uh, that had to be so good to get back to Purdue where it all started for you. Yeah, it, well, it was. Uh, and, and I'm so uh, grateful to uh, people like, well, President Hovde and Red Mackey and Jack Molenkoff, that so fortunate to meet great men like that. They were out, they were tremendous people. And, uh, I can't say enough about them, and that's, that's Purdue as far as I'm concerned. You think about Purdue, Dale Samuels is one of the bedrocks of this uh, athletic program in this university, and you had an opportunity, Dale, also to work a little bit on the media side. Uh, how many years did you do color commentary on Purdue radio for football games? Uh, I don't know the exact number, maybe six or seven years back when WA, oh, I think WSK still does it, and uh uh, I was fortunate enough to to be asked to come in and do some color commentating. That was a that was a great experience as well. That's pretty cool to to sort of get to see the game from a different a different vantage point as a player, as a coach, and then uh, as a member of the media. That's that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. And and you talk about uh, uh, Purdue football. That was the days of Mike Phipps and and Mark Herman. <laughs> You can't beat those guys. <laughs> well, you mentioned two of the guys that we consider to be, Dale, in the cradle of quarterbacks at Purdue. You were the first, though. Uh, what does that mean to you when you talk about some of the greats that have come through here, not only it had success at Purdue, but in the NFL, and to know that you were really the guy that got that started? Well, to be honest with you, it's, uh, I could hardly believe it when it happened. I, I think my family voted every day. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And but uh, I was thrilled and and honored to be honest with you and and I I'm not sure I belong in that group but uh, I'm glad I'm in it. Absolutely belong and and I know uh, I know even to this day you're you're a diehard Boilermaker uh, a, a lot of times making your way down to West Lafayette for home games still aren't you? Oh yes, uh, our our families are season ticket holders. Uh, my wife and I get down to if there's if there's six games a year we'll make four if there's seven we'll usually make five. We're about a four hour drive from West Lafayette, and uh, it's kind of a reunion every time Purdue plays a home football game because uh, our, our uh, three sons and daughters are and daughter uh, are all season ticket holders, and they make most of the games. Well, Dale, we're happy to have the opportunity to talk. I have to admit, I'm a little surprised we got you off the golf course today. I understand you uh, you still whack the ball around pretty well. 
Well, it's ironic because we set this thing up, and I said I to the guys I played today before we had this interview, <laughs> and uh, I played yesterday, and I'm going to play again tomorrow. Yes, I play as often as I can, and uh, uh, God has blessed me to allow me to keep on playing. Keep on playing, Dale. Thank you again for your time. It was great, uh, great catching up with you, taking this trip down memory lane. You're welcome, guys. It was nice of you to call. Thanks, Dale. Thank you. Your Central Indiana Ford dealers are a proud sponsor of Purdue Football and the Raw Sage Greatest Games podcast. Visit your local Central Indiana Ford dealer today.